0: If you haven't already done so, I invite you to turn in the Word of God to the New Testament, to the fourth gospel, the book of John, to chapter 15. The sermon, both this morning and this evening, will be related to one another, not originally by design. This evening, we're working through the parables of Jesus. But this morning, we are. Still near the beginning of the new AM series, as we look at different ways we picture the people of God, the Bible is full of very instructive metaphors, these images that help you to understand who the church is, how the church relates to Christ, how the church relates to the world. And as believers, you are members of that church, and therefore each of these pictures shows you some way that you do all of those things. Now, last week we saw the church as the bride of Christ. This week we come to the second picture and we pick up in verse 1 of John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking here with his disciples. Hear together the word of the Lord I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us the high privilege of receiving words from Christ. We pray that you would please guide us by your Holy Spirit through your ordained ministry. That you would cause this time together to be truly fruitful, spiritually fruitful. In order that just as the text says, you would be glorified and we would be filled with much joy. Transform us, Lord, by your grace. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Throughout the Bible, the people of God, the church, are pictured as a whole variety of different fruit-bearing trees. So in this passage, here in John chapter 15, you have the church pictured as a grapevine. Elsewhere, you have, for instance, Isaiah chapter 5, Another image of the vineyard, Isaiah 5 or 7, it says, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. You get the sense of the Lord being like a farmer here who takes delight in looking at his plants, seeing the growth. I know that many of us do grow something or another around our home. And the pleasure that you find. Here the Lord looks at his people, and they are his pleasant planting. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24, has an extended analogy where the church is pictured as a cultivated olive tree. It's one of the more significant texts, arguably, in the entire Bible concerning the church. And why is it called a cultivated olive tree? Well, because there are branches that are natural to it, and then also branches that are grafted in. And there Paul describes how some people are born among the covenant community, But if they do not continue in their profession, they are, as it were, broken off, like a dead branch. Then there are those who, at some point in their life, from outside of the church, profess faith, and they are grafted into the church. And so it's a picture of the church outwardly as being united by profession. Of course, there's an inward reality as well, which is related to faith. And so at the very least, what this analogy, what this metaphor tells us about the church is that we were planted in this world according to the purpose of God. Verse two, he is the vine dresser. You're planted here according to the purpose of God. The church is not a social club. It did not invent itself. And then it tells us that we are, in some sense, united together. All of these branches come back to a source, and so we have to consider together what is the nature of that union? But there's much more to this metaphor as we're going to see. And this morning, as we consider this doctrine, we're going to look at three major ideas. Essentially, when you think about this plant idea, as you encounter it, because it comes up again and again in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is bringing you back to several key ideas. He wants you to remember that God desires and requires something of every member of the church. He desires and requires something. And those will each be two separate points. But then we'll see third that these things which he desires and requires, he provides through Jesus Christ. And so the point here is not to gather you together and tell you that you need to find something in yourselves. You simply will not find it in yourself if you go looking. But what is required of us is given in Jesus Christ. That's what makes this connected to the gospel. Why this is good news to consider the nature of the church together. And so I'll mention each of those three as we come to them again. In the first place, though, I wonder whether or not you're familiar with what an ornamental plant is. I wonder about the children here. I imagine some of you children maybe even take care of an ornamental and you don't know it. An ornamental is a kind of plant that you don't own for the purpose of getting any useful fruit from. It's there because it's pretty. It's there because it's nice to look at. But that's distinct from a fruitful plant that provides something that you are going to eat or use in some way. Imagine your frustration if you sought to have not an or- ornamental, but a fruitful plant and then it did not deliver. Take for instance, here in Phoenix, if you wanted to have an orange tree. If you want to have an orange tree, from the time that you first plant to when it first has a useful harvest, you're looking at three to five years. During that time, anyone who has tried to take care of citrus and perhaps struggled to take care of citrus, you discover it needs to be cared for. It needs a certain amount of water, a certain amount being tons and tons. You have to give it that on a regular schedule. You have to give it nutrients. You have to make sure the soil is just right. But now imagine after three to five years of investing yourself in this plant, there's no harvest. You say, oh, it'll, it'll come soon. Seven years, ten years. Fifteen years, you're still at this point, now it's fully grown, and you're dropping 30,000 gallons of water into this tree every year. Not an orange. The frustration, the disappointment, that's because you didn't grow it, in this case, to be an ornamental. You grew it for the purpose of oranges. And even so, in this analogy, the first thing that the Lord drives us towards is the understanding God, though saving us by grace, has purposed us to something in this life. He called us, he planted us with a purpose. And this first key idea here, what has he purposed? He has purposed good fruit from every branch. Not just some, it's not like, well, that bough has the fruit, but I'm fine, I don't. Every single branch is created for this fruit. We're all called to that. This is one of the reasons why when the church is pictured throughout the Bible as a plant, it is a fruitful plant. Grapes, figs, olives, other places it's pictured as a field of wheat in contrast to tares and weeds. The Lord pictures every member as a fruitful member. Now, what kind of fruit does Jesus have in mind? You could go to many different places in the Bible to get some idea of the kind of fruit he has in mind. But we have to start here in the context. As Jesus is talking with his disciples He is identifying certain aspects of fruitfulness that are especially important in this situation. Verse 10 and verse 5 tells us that fruitfulness, true fruitfulness, involves obedience. But specifically obedience to Christ. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So there's a connection between obedience to Christ and true fruitfulness. And that means that simply being a decent person for decency's sake is not the fruitfulness Jesus is talking about. If what motivates you at the core is not the desire to submit to Christ out of love to him and a belief that he is truly the Lord of lords, that is not the fruit he's talking about. He calls you to an obedience that is toward him in love through faith. But then specifically here, he's talking about something even more direct. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The obedience that is in focus here, the fruit that he desires to smell the aroma of, is a Christ-like sacrificial affection for others who belong to the body of Christ. Imagine... A limb growing out, and then at some point it just decides to break off. That that is not how it works. No healthy limb severs itself from the body. Moreover, imagine that the limb grows out, and it reaches to where the gardener keeps his tools, and it finds a saw, and it comes in and begins sawing off somebody else. No, that is not the nature of a healthy tree. The kind of branch Jesus is talking about, the fruitful, the living branch... What God desires from us is the kind that mutually shares life among itself. That's what a healthy plant does. Life is shared among all. The best commentary we have on the Bible is the Bible. And John himself, the author of this gospel, has written another writing, an epistle, a letter. Hear carefully how John interprets Jesus' words. Jesus says here, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John writes, By this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word and speech, but in action and in truth. A few caveats here. We live in an age which is uniquely connected by the internet, by electronics, and so it's possible to be aware of the needs of Christians throughout the whole world in a way that God's people, for the most part, did not until only recently. And so John's point is not to say that if you do not send every single dollar you have to someone somewhere else that you don't love. In the first place, he says, withhold compassion. That compassion should manifest itself, especially locally, meaningfully. The local church is the primary place where you are placed. This is the orchard that you are growing up in. And so if we see one among us, and we know that person is pinched with genuine need, And other caveats here, too, that we won't go into. You know, what if they don't desire to do any work? And the book of Ephesians says, whoever's not willing to work is not worthy to eat. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a situation where a believer is an appropriate candidate to your love, and you say, I just don't feel anything for them. The fruit he desires here is a Christ-like overflow of graciousness, and this the Lord calls true fruit. As I mentioned, there are other places we could go to, like Galatians 5, for the fruits of the Spirit. Just to hear them tells you something about what our life should look like. This is when he looks in the fruit bowl, he sees love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. At this stage, Jesus' point is not to say, how much fruit do you have, but do you have fruit? And this is something God desires from everyone, every branch Why does he desire it? Why why do you think God wants this fruit from you? To be very clear, it is not because the Lord is hungry, like we get hungry and we need to eat or else we will famish and perish. God isn't dependent. There must be some other reason. And there are basically two that you consider at this moment. It is his right. Verse 2, he's the vine dresser. He planted you through his spirit among the church. It's his right to ask of you what he wants. But what he wants is good for others, for the church, for the world. Think of the generosity of the Lord, that when he called a people, he didn't call them to mutual self-destruction, called them to fruitfulness, to love. Now, what would it be like in this congregation and in this city and in this nation and in this world if the church was always becoming more and more and more fruitful. Not just more and more busy. It's possibly busy and not be fruitful. But more and more gripped by Christ-like affection for one another that results in action. The aroma of life unto life goes into the world. The Lord desires a cornucopia of kingdom virtues to spill out from his church. And in that way, he uses that to draw... His people to himself from out of the world. Our good works are not the gospel, but they do lend a credibility to our claims about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord desires in the first place in this metaphor, he tells you that he desires fruit. What else does this teach us? There's a second aspect here. He not only desires it, but he requires it. He requires fruit from every branch. Look with me at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he that is the Father takes away. And what is meant by that? Jesus clarifies in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If it were not the word of the Lord, it would be inappropriate for any minister to say these things. But this is what the Lord has revealed. Just as a branch that bears no fruit serves no purpose but to be burned, the warning of Jesus Christ could not be more explicit to you. We are each pictured as branches, but that doesn't mean every branch is alive. And the warning is that if any person does not bear true fruit... In this life, and if that fruit is not as a characteristic of their life abiding, they are not to associate themselves with remaining with the tree in the age to come. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 42, Jesus says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to be very careful that you do not misunderstand Jesus at this point. Jesus is not saying, he's not saying here that your salvation is secured or merited by a certain amount of fruit past fruit unit one, whatever that is. As if, say, 30-fold gets you in the door, but 20-fold harvest, now your salvation is in jeopardy. That is not what Jesus is talking about. In Matthew 13, he says that those who bore 30, 60, 100-fold, all inherit eternal life. The key phrase in this passage is in verse 2, does not bear fruit, does not, is barren. Again, I have to underscore The point here, what Jesus is talking about in terms of fruitfulness is not church attendance. It is not being a decent person, even an exemplary person, unless those things are motivated by a sincere desire to submit to Jesus Christ in faith and reflected in your love for the body of Christ. And you should have a distinct, a special love for the body different than that of the world. Elsewhere in the epistles, it says that our love starts first here, that we care first for the needs of the body and then the world. And so Jesus' point is not that your fruitfulness merits or secures eternal life, but it is this. If you do not have fruit, you do not evidence that life has already entered into you. And so I put that to you as a genuine charge, as an exhortation, do you have genuine fruit, as we read of here? Well, come back if you do. That's great reason to rejoice. But if you don't, receive the warning as from God himself. You heard it from his word. When you stand before him, you can't say you didn't hear it. It is necessary. Verse 8. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, let's say that you do not have fruit. How are you going to get it? Or let's say that you have some fruit. How are you going to have more fruit? Because that is the desire of the Father, that you would bear more and more fruit. And that leads us then to the third and the final idea when you consider this metaphor. We've seen first that he desires it, second that he requires it. How will you be more fruitful in the coming 12 months? Because again, make it concrete. That's his real desire for each one of us, every branch. What farmer goes out and looks at his plants growing and says, Yeah, I'm fine with about half of them being more fruitful. No, he would like that they are all more fruitful. How will that be? Look with me at verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And in this way, the metaphor of being the branches of the Lord is to drive your faith back to Christ as the source of your life and your fruitfulness. Christ is the source. Appreciate first the analogy. In this case, he's talking about a a grapevine, and a grapevine has a root stalk, and that's the thickest part of it, that's what goes directly into the ground, and it comes up and it branches out in all different directions. It delivers vitality to all of the branches that have a healthy union and a kind of communication through the vine. It delivers the nutrients, it delivers the moisture. And for that reason, if any one of those branches is disconnected from the root, it will wither and it will die. Jesus is making a radical claim here. The Jews with whom he had been speaking understood that God had been the vine dresser, that he planted them. We saw earlier, Isaiah chapter 5, that they were his pleasant planting. But now imagine this, they're looking at a human being who tells them, I am the true vine. I am the source of life who has been throughout all ages giving vitality, giving spiritual fruitfulness to every believer From after the fall of Adam to the present and into the future, Jesus is making a radical claim. We cannot reduce Jesus into just some teacher or some example. He claims for himself titles that cannot be anything else but divine. And Jesus is asking you, telling you to look at him and understand he is the source of your vitality. He's not your sky coach. He is life for you. He is your only hope of bearing fruit in keeping with salvation. The implications for this cannot be overstated. Because again, the analogy here has to do with having true union and communion with Him. That will make the difference between whether or not you have fruit, period, and whether or not you are very fruitful. It is the difference between bearing fruit and being barren, between having life and being burned. Verse 4, look with me there. Abide in me, and I in you. This word abide here has caused much confusion for many people. What exactly does he mean? And I would venture that it's a thing easier experienced than explained. But the word at the most basic level means to dwell together. To be in a position of closeness. And notice that it's mutual. When he says abide, he says abide in me and I in you. It's not just he's the house and you're inside. He's, the metaphor here is more plant-like. It is one of having union together. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I submit to you that when Jesus is talking about abiding here and bearing much fruit, he's talking about something that essentially includes faith in him. And faith is resting and receiving his promises. And we think about that often in terms simply of our justification or being declared righteous in God's sight through faith. But he's also talking about something that goes beyond trusting that you are forgiven. When he says abide in me and the context here where he talks about seeking to keep his commands, to dwell in his love, is a state not only of union through faith, but also of communion, of seeking interaction of dwelling upon his promises, not as if he's over there, but as if he's right here, thanking him for his promises, meditating on what it means that he is inside of you, that he is your life. Look at what it says in verse 4. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. You cannot bear fruit apart from this. But conversely, this means that you can bear fruit with it. If by faith you abide in Christ, then the overflow, the organic growth that comes out, is affection for your brothers and sisters. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to try real hard to love Christians, but it's really hard because I've met them. You, lo- But I- has that not been the case? That people, for one reason or another, associate with the church. They're raised in it, or they've have fear of hell or they want the social benefits of the church and then they interact with the body of Christ and find out that some of these branches are kind of thorny. The love that we have for others is the overflow of a life that began before us. It's the life of Christ, the affection of Christ flowing through you and you give that to others as you experience it yourself. Jesus said whoever has received much gives much, whoever is been loved, loves much. Who has been forgiven much, forgives much. As you receive those things daily from Christ, those things flow out to others. But if you don't dwell upon those things, if you do not abide near him, you may be a believer and have some fruit, but you will not have nearly the fruit that you otherwise would. And then look at verse 2, finally on this point. Every branch that that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That is, the father has a way of clipping, of cutting, of refining such that we bear more. And it's him doing it. That should give you assurance. Don't think so much in this moment about whether or not it hurts to be pruned, because if we draw the metaphor out, it probably does. Our sanctification is not comfortable. But the main focus here is on the fact that your sanctification, if you abide in Christ, is being tended by the Father towards greater productivity. You don't tend yourself. God didn't just plant you and then tell you, you know, make yourself better. He's promising you that the work that you are doing is really his work in and through you. And that then, really, the purpose of this picture drives us back to the gospel By way of conclusion, I just want to lay before you several questions. Especially as we have an opportunity for communion, even this morning. My first question is this. I address this particularly to anyone who may be visiting. Are you among the branches? In this case, even just outwardly, are you a member of any church? This is where, ordinarily, God places his people. In the tree. And we can talk all day about the invisible church and the reality that God knows hearts only and we don't. But ordinarily, those who know the Lord are found among the branches. The word church is used more than 100 times in the New Testament. 17 times it's used to speak of the invisible or universal church. More than 90 times it's used to speak of the local church. God places the branches among a community. If you are not, then you have to ask yourself, do you desire to be? Do you desire more and more close communion with God's people? If not, ask whether or not that's indicative of lacking that Christ-like love for the body. But if you are, on the other hand, you can't boast in that in and of itself. Hear the words that John the Baptist said to a number of Jewish people. These were people born as natural branches, according to Romans 11. They were born among the covenant community. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There are people who make the mistake of confusing the heritage of faith. For the faith itself. The fact that because their parents and their grandparents were Christians. They are too. And they really have a hard time even imagining how to behave differently. Because they've been cultivated in this lifestyle. And yet you must search your heart whether or not it comes from faith in Christ alone. A desire sincerely to obey him and to love his people. Hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. The last passage we hear, Matthew 7, verse 17. Jesus asks, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." When he says workers of lawlessness, he doesn't mean necessarily people who look in the judgment of the world like bad people. But they did not live with an understanding, a heartfelt conviction. My law comes from Christ and I'm submitted to him by faith. And my righteousness is his righteousness. And his law is one of love. Starting with love for the body. If you are not that person, seek life in him. You can't make yourself a different kind of tree. Imagine that. If you had out there a a cactus trying to will itself to be an apple tree. Part of the analogy is to drive you to the miracle of transformation, to the miracle of life. But, brothers and sisters, if you have even a small beginning of this fruit, receive the promise. It is in abiding, in dwelling in the promises, in union and communion that we bear more and more fruit. Let's ask the Lord to help us even now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in spite of ourselves, though by nature we are withered, dry, rotten, you have come among sinners, to produce new life. And you take what was a desert and you make it an Eden. We thank you for having begun that work among us. We thank you for the very real abundance of fruit, which we have often observed and experienced, even in this congregation. Heavenly Father, we give you the glory for that, and we ask that you would please help us more and more to bear this fruit. We pray on behalf of any who may not know you, Lord, that you would please Grant them to set their whole reliance upon you, even as you have promised to receive all who come to you, asking only for your grace given to them for the sake of Christ. We ask that you would please ready us for this communion together in the sacrament. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.